Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Raise Your Voice on last week's episode. I had managing editor at D-Raise Bay, Danny Russell, on the show to discuss the comments made by Blake Snell and how they might have an effect on the return of Major League Baseball in 2020. It's a great episode. You can go check it out. Also, the hit show is back. They dropped two episodes last week uh, doing a raise bracket. I know it's not March anymore, but there's not much else to talk about. So they're breaking down the regions of the bracket that include the Devil Rays era as well as the Glory Days era, uh, obviously when the team was going to the postseason almost every season. So go check those out as well. Uh, Danny, Darby, and Brett did a great job with those. But on today's episode of Raise Your Voice, I am joined once again. He was back, you know, he he was on about a month ago. uh, Is Jim Turvey. Jim, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great, Brett. Thanks for having me back. I'm glad I uh, made the cut the second time here. <laughs> yeah, we. I, I asked you back, which which is a good sign uh, from, <laughs> from the last episode we did, uh, which uh, we, we did an off-season recap as well as an out-of-the-park 21 review slash update on our saves. I know a couple episodes ago I gave another update, and then today at the end of the show we're going to get to talk about those saves, see how they're coming along. We're well into the summer now. Um, and, and I, I, I know my team is, is had a really good month of June, and we'll, we'll talk about it more. I don't know how it's going on your save, but let's get into what we are talking about today. So back in December, Jim, uh, you wrote an article on D-Ray's Bay, uh, kind of one of these, these fun build a lineup, uh, you, know, you know, fantasy lineup, uh, things with the Rays. So talk to me a little bit about that, like kind of where that idea came from and, and how that came to be. Yeah, so it, yeah, the, it's the off-season off doldrums kind of. You got to get creative <laughs> with the ideas. So I saw a couple of them going around. The one that really caught my eye is uh, a hockey writer. Actually, he's the hockey writer for uh, the Athletic. Sean McIndoe is some people know him as Down Goes Brown. He wrote for Grantland for a while. One of the best sports writers out there. I steal many many article ideas from him. So he had it where he was using some sort of like value replacement level to set kind of a guide for how much you could spend. So I thought it'd be fun to do that with the raise. So I kind of set a bar of a hundred dollars as the total budget for a starting lineup catchers through right field plus a DH. Um, and then $50 for a budget for a pitching staff, four starters and a reliever. And to, to make the dollar valuations somewhat reasonable, I, I said career war with the race. So you can make a pretty good squad here. Um, and so, yeah, I, I figured people would, would, uh, have fun kind of putting together the pieces they, they could with, with the dollars they had. So what, what, I'm curious what, uh, who you went with for some of your career raise there. I, I didn't make my own lineup, but I, but I read through yours. I really liked the addition of, of Travis Darnell. Obviously he was with the team for a short time. You've got a bunch of great players that played a season or less with the Rays. Johnny Damon had a really solid 2011 season. Um, Jake Bowers back in 2018 um, put together a really good campaign. So uh, I really liked your selections. Obviously, Malik Smith, I think, is near and dear to both of our hearts. Uh, yep. No longer with the Rays, but is killing it kind of out in Seattle. Um, Tommy Pham, really great addition. And, and Willie Adamas. And, and Willie Adamas is, is kind of uh, – he's brought up he's, – he's been a talking point throughout the offseason when we've seen lists like this about the greatest Rays ever, the best Rays lineup ever. There's a lot of people already putting him in there as the best raised shortstop ever. And the, and the team has never had a, a franchise shortstop that's been with the club for more than three or four seasons. You had Julio Lugo. You had Jason Bartlett. I think Estrubo Cabrera played two years. But other than that, 
we haven't had a franchise shortstop with the Rays. Willie Adamas came up in 2018 and then played the entire season in 2019 and put together a really good year. So uh, it's not really surprising to see a lot of people viewing him in that manner. But, Jim, why, why did you include uh, Willie Adamas? Yeah, he kind of feels like a, a cheat code to, to have there, right? Because he's, he's only, at the, the, the point of writing this, he was $6.2 or whatever, right? Because he was 6.2 or by wrote in the article, it's, I, I feel like it's getting my Apple stock in 1994. Like, I could see <laughs> easily by the end of his career. I, honestly, if I, who knows how things play out in, in the long run with contract stuff and, stuff and whatever. But I could, I, there's a, t- a very reasonable timeline where 10, 15 years from now, we look at Adamus as the top the leader in war in race history. I mean, he, if he yeah. can be that race of the franchise type guy, the talent's definitely going to be there. I don't think that's really honestly in too much question with, with the defensive skill set that he has, his ability to hit um, left and right handed, that weird platoon split, reverse platoon split kind of going last year. But I, I think that's going to even out and you're just going to see a, a steady producer at like three, four war a year. And I mean, the, it, the, the interesting thing, the most interesting thing, thing to think about for me is, will he stay at shortstop if we get Wander and Bruhan and all those guys and Xavier, Xavier uh, Edwards up? So maybe that's almost the, the bigger question in terms of if he'll end up here um, at, the, at the end of his career. But yeah, I think there's almost no question as to talent. And there is a gamble there. Like you said, the, if, if you were playing, you know, the long game here and trying to get the biggest ROI on Willie Adamas with, with his war, you know, if he moves from shortstop, those war numbers are going to come down a little bit. But I have a feeling he's going to stay there and they would move maybe Franco to second or third and Bruhan to second or maybe in, even the outfield. And obviously a ton of middle infield prospects in the Rays organization right now. But, yeah, I thought that was a really good pick putting uh, Adamus on there. I'm trying to look and see if you have maybe any controversial selections. J.P. Howell was kind of hot and cold during his race career, but I appreciate the pick. I'm a huge JP Howell fan myself. So what was your thought process there? Uh, well, honestly, I looking over it now. I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little hesitant with that Howell pick only because I've got, I now I'm looking at my bullpen. It's all three lefties. So I'm kind of thinking maybe I should have <laughs> mixed it up and, and had a righty in there, but uh, an Alvarado kind of the same train. I think you could, some people who maybe would say uh, you could find a better, better pitcher to slot in there. But those two guys were, were guys that I just I, – you have those players, right, where you just have a weird affinity. You can't really pin what it is. Maybe you catch more of their games where they're pitching well or you really – you put stock into them early. Like, I think I remember Alvarado got called up and, like, three games in, I was like, all right, this is my dude. Like, I'm going to ride with him <laughs> for, for the time being. So, at bullpen – plus, bullpens are such a crapshoot. So, you know, yeah. throw pick a name out of the hat kind of and, uh, and catch, catch his catch can there. For, for personal favorites, I would have considered Brad Boxberger, but his war probably would have been probably been higher than that, how good he actually was given the amount of saves he was able to rack up. And he had a couple good years with the Rays, but a one pretty bad year. But moving on from part one, uh, a couple of weeks ago, you followed that up with part two, which was a, built on a single season lineup. Talk to me about that and, and where that idea came from and, and what you did with, with your lineup. Yeah, honestly, I'll be honest. This was I was like, man, I need to need to get an article up. It's been a minute since I wrote one. I kind of went through the archives. So I was like, oh, you know, what? I think I did one that would be a I could do a, an update on that. So I I kind of reset the the dollar figure figures, um, brought it down to a, a total budget of thirty five, and and kept it on the the war basis. Um, so for that, this one definitely skews more. Um, 
new a newer bunch of guys. Uh, my Rays fandom itself is a little bit newer. I was a baseball nomad before for D Rays Bay, so a lot of the guys are more recent. I've got Jesus Sucre on there and Daniel Robertson, but I do I I have loved kind of going into the um, the history books a bit. You know, Fred McGriff's always been a favorite of mine throughout my childhood, no matter where he was playing. So I, I had to get him on there. We got Willie Adamas on there again, um, and I. Just for, for humor's sake, I slotted – I think it was the last part of my filling out the roster was Brandon Geyer. I, I had to have him in a season where he got hit, hit 23 times in 63 games, you know, just for – they get put that OBP machine at the top of the lineup and uh, see how many times he can get plunked in a season. So. I, know, I really like that pick. Now, I think you and I had similar thought processes for catcher. You went with Jesus Sucre, who was a negative war player in that season that you took him. Now, <laughs> Did you take him for, for you know, likability reasons? He had a great personality. Like you said, he was always smiling. Or basically, I'm asking, is that why you took Sucre, or was there a, a, another reason? Well, and I do think I, I, as great as the advancements as, as we have made in, in baseball statistics, I do think catcher is one that even now we don't fully have a grasp of just how much some of those better defensive catchers can impact the game. And I, you're going to talk about who you took in a second and maybe he is like the ultimate example of that but these guys especially I, I do think it, it, it's almost like when you're uh, I think Ben Lindbergh has used this um, description before we when you're kind of trying to figure out a black hole you figure out like everything that's around it and that whatever whatever isn't there is how you define the black hole it's kind of like catcher defense it's like everything that you can't quite put a number on I feel like sometimes it comes down to the catcher and I think the Rays have had a bunch of those guys where they're going to put up zero war seasons, quote unquote, but they really have a lot more value than, than that, that figure would suggest otherwise. Yeah. And, and I went with, so you went with 2018 Jesus Sucre. I went with 2013 Jose Molina, who was also a negative war player, or he, he actually might've been at a flat zero, but other than the fact that I kind of liked Jose Molina, and I think in that 2013 year, I was in attendance for one of the two home runs he hit all season. <laughs> um, my thought process was, yeah, the defense was there. Some, some data shows that Jose Molina was one of the best framers in, in, in the business. And that I, I believe there was a study done that showed he, he saved upwards of 70 runs across his three seasons with the Rays. And that, that value was, was why the Rays left him on the roster for three years and gave him significant time behind the plate. But another reason is that the Rays, and, and not many teams can say this, haven't had a superstar catcher that hits at an elite level. Obviously, you know, they don't have late 2000s Joe Maurer, early 2010s Buster Posey, guys that can win the MVP in their leagues. So with the catcher position, I thought it was worth saving some of that $35, uh, you know, distribute, distributing it elsewhere and bringing in a guy like Molina, who is a defensive plus, and, and saving that money to spend later on, even though I did kind of cheat. I didn't have a DH. I forgot <laughs> the DH. Um, but I, I, overall, I think I put together a really good team. Who was the highest uh, player you put on, on your lineup? Yeah, I think, I think this one will surprise some folks. I, I went with Randy Wynn. I've always been a huge Randy Wynn guy. That 2002 season was kind of like a breakout there. He got, he got to the All-Star game. Um, and kind of an underrated guy throughout his, his whole career. I, I don't think he ever really got the, the shakes that, that he, he really deserved. And 
I think in hindsight, in, in 2020, we kind of have a better grasp for, for how valuable a player he was. But yeah, I tried, uh, I didn't go for anyone with like a crazy war value. I tried to go for pretty good balance throughout. It's kind of the raise MO, you know, try to, no super, super mega star, just kind of go with the plug and play. I also had Longoria, but not in his best season, more like his last last really good season as Ray was about four wins and had to have 2019 Adamas on there, who was also about four, but didn't have anyone who to, who was in like the extravagant among the best uh, war seasons uh, as a Ray, but uh, yeah, kind of went for balance in my lineup. Now I've got one more question, and then I think we'll go briefly position by position. I know we've been bouncing out, bouncing around a little bit here in this segment, but you didn't have Yandy Diaz, and I know you're a big Yandy Diaz fan, like myself, and I did have Yandy Diaz, spoiler alert, <laughs> but you, you decided to go with, with Longoria. Was it hard for you to not put Diaz into that lineup? Yeah, especially because I feel like in uh... – in, in little games like this, you can sometimes cheat and pick someone who missed some games, but so they really, you knew they're like per 162 was actually a lot more value and you can kind of sneak on a better player than, than their, their cost, yeah. so to speak. So I, I, I imagine maybe that had a role in, in your choosing. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Yandy guy, but it, it felt incomplete to do a raise build a lineup without Longoria, you know? Yeah, and you went with Longoria's 2016 season, which was his last really good productive season for the Rays. Obviously played the 2017 season as well, and then was uh, dealt to San Francisco that offseason. Um, but, yeah, he had a 4.4 win. And in all of these, we, we both used baseball reference, their war uh, scale instead of fan graphs. So just for clarification on that. But let's go position by position. We'll start with catcher. We talked about it a little bit a second ago. But uh, talk to me about your catcher, your catching decisions. Were there anyone else on the table there? Uh, that's a good question. Honestly, I wrote this a few, a few weeks ago, so I got <laughs> dig, to dig deep in the, uh, the memory bank here. I, I've always been a, uh, weird Toby Hall guy. I thought Toby Hall was, was like a little better than, than folks thought. But for me, I mean, Sucre, th- this, this team is like a, a list of, of players I love, right? And for me, Sucre is the guy, like just the, the smiling face in the dugout every time they would cut to the dugout. I just, it's like him and like a couple other players, Hank Conger, not a Ray, but one of those guys who just whenever you cut to the dugout, doing some goofy, goofy stuff, just kind of like yeah. picking up the team morale. So yeah, I, it, it was pretty easy. And especially when I could get him for, for zero, for zero dollars, it, uh, it made too much sense. It, Hank Conger actually was a Ray for a little bit. Oh, he was for a minute. Yeah. yeah I okay. think he may, maybe made like 30 appearances or less. It was not very, it was not a long tenured Ray, but yeah, like I said, I went with Jose Molina, almost, uh, you know, just for his framework and the ability to save all that money in my $35 budget um, and, and, and put that elsewhere. But uh, let's go with first base. Who'd you take? I went Fred McGriff, uh, 2000. So you get kind of the ugly <laughs> by the value metric season. He was only worth two tenths of a, a win, but we'll, we'll say this one was for uh, kind of the the old heads in the crowd. You know, 27 homers, <laughs> over 100 RBIs, all-star appearance. Um, plus, he's the crime dog. I mean, you can't go wrong with getting yeah. Griffin first base. So. Yeah, I went with 2019 G-Man Troy. Obviously became a fan favorite throughout the season and, and definitely in October with, with chance ringing around Tropicana Field, uh, you know, saying G-Man Troy. But he was a pretty good first baseman. I know there was, like, in the first half of the season, there was that myth that he was terrible with runners in scoring position, which <laughs> wasn't entirely true. And that's not typically an indicator as to if you're a good or a bad hitter. Um, it's just sometimes how the cookie crumbles. Um, G-Man Troy played a good chunk of first base. And I think a lot of people were 
were expecting Jake Bowers to be the full-time first baseman in 2019. That wasn't to be. He was traded to Cleveland in exchange for Yanni Diaz. And G-Man Troy, you know, picked up a bulk of the, the innings at first base because of that. And Nate Lowe didn't really get his chance to break into the big leagues full-time last year. And now people are questioning whether that will even happen this year with how well Troy played last season. Moving on to second base, who'd you get? Uh, this is my personal stand. I will never give up on this guy, Daniel Robertson. I went with his 2017 season, so it was it was nice and cheap. But I have to get him on every every roster I ever build for the Rays. Um, I'm still a believer. I well, if if he keeps struggling this year, maybe I'll I'll have to sell a little bit of my stock. But I don't think I'll, I'll fully sell my stock until he's like a 45 year old uh, <laughs> single A hitting coach. You know, so even then I'll be plugging him as a, a future coach or something. I, I I love me some Daniel Robertson. And it, what would it take for you to switch off from Daniel Robertson and hop on the Brandon Lau train? Oh, see, that's fine because Brandon Lau is on the opposite end of things. I am not a Brandon Lau. It, it goes from what and, – and really, we, we covered this the last time I was on here, I think a little bit with the OTP, is it, it's plate discipline. I'm a big plate discipline guy. I just feel like you, you can kind of keep, keep the boat afloat if you, if you just can kind of keep those strikeouts and walks at least somewhat close to each other. And Lau's, Lau, Lau struggles in that regard, and D-Rob is all over it, so – you see, but Brandon Lau can put balls on the third level at the Rogers Center, so I'll take it. <laughs> I know him it's, it's the one old school thing I hold on to, but uh, I got to I got to keep it going for now, I guess. Uh, for for my second baseman, this was my big splurge. I took 2009 Ben Zobrist uh, at 8.6, uh, the highest WAR total of any Rays position player ever. And I know you could probably argue that Longoria's 2010 season was better or that some of, some of Longoria's other seasons with the Rays were better. Uh, but this was uh, one of, if not the most valuable season a Rays player has ever had. Uh, and, and Ben Zobris also close to my heart. I actually have a picture of him. I believe it was opening day 2006 or seven uh, when, when he was a guy that barely made the roster. So the Rays would send out a group of players to go take pictures with fans out in the rotunda. And since Zobrist wasn't a starter or wasn't a big name guy, he was chosen to go take pictures with the fans, you know, just a couple hours before first pitch on opening day. Um, so uh, watching him blossom as a big leaguer, um, kind of as I grew up and he became the face of the super utility player. He went and won world series with Kansas city and with Chicago. And uh, his career is a super fun one. And, and, I think it ended a little too early, but uh, he, he was going through some personal stuff and, and some other things. But Ben Zobrist, great player, and that, that was his best season you know, of his career back in 2009. So I, I went with him uh, at 8.6. Do you have him uh, as a future Hall of Famer? I don't, but I, I do enjoy uh, – every few years you'll see something like, here's the case for Ben Zobrist yeah. Hall of Fame. I, I don't think he's quite there. The only way is if you really just picked him as – as the face of the super utility players. And if yeah. you consider that a position within itself, which I don't, I mean, there is somewhat of a reason that he was a super utility guy, but still a great player. And uh, definitely um, if, if a Rays hall of famer, you know, if you have something like that uh, just for what he did with the team in, in the years he was there, but moving on to, to third base, we mentioned that you took Evan Longoria, um, but did, is there a reason you went with 2016 Evan Longoria? Was it, you know, trying to save some of the cost of those $35 instead of maybe 2010 or 2009 Longoria? Yeah, I think it was, it, that, that was definitely a huge part, but also I love that, uh, I mean, that was, that 2016 season was, was kind of a strange season and for, for multiple reasons, but the fact that he managed to get MVP votes 
on a, a 68 win team is uh, is pretty bonkers. I mean, I think a lot of that maybe was based on on reputation and maybe his his glove wasn't quite as good as whoever voted for him might have assumed it was. But I mean, he had to get a longer run here somewhere. Like I said, I was trying I was trying to save a few bucks and. Honestly, it's hard to find a season that on the race that he didn't have supreme value, you know, unless you go with, with uh, 2012 where, where he missed uh, a lot of action. Everything's going to cost you a bit. So this seemed like the best combination of uh, a reasonable price and, and a cool storyline to, to boot. So. And a career high in home runs for Longoria yeah. in 2016. He had 36 bombs, you know, ended with an 840 OPS, a 127 OPS plus. It was still a really productive season, obviously not as productive in terms of war, when it comes to like his 2010 season, he was at 8.2 or 2009 at 7.0. Um, but yeah, great, great pick right there with Longoria. Third base for myself, I went with Yanni Diaz. So uh, yeah. I, I had to go with one of my favorite player on the, on the current race team who, yeah, he probably would have had a much higher, you know, maybe three or four uh, wins above replacement if he had stayed healthy throughout the entire year, but got him at $2.1. And uh, I, I, I wanted to take a Longo year because Longo was such a huge part of the organization. He was the face of the organization up until the day he was traded. Um, but I, I, I couldn't pass on Yandi at 2.1. And, and like probably like you, I wanted to spend some of my dollars elsewhere. But uh, now moving on to, to shortstop. I know you took Willie Adamas. Um, it was, I mean, really, the high, it has to be the highest war for any race shortstop ever. But an almost shoe-in pick right there. Yeah, so I was actually going to use this kind of as a jumping off point to ask you. I was wondering if, if you thought if like every race fan was forced to sit down and do this exercise, which season do you think would be the most chosen season? I, I think this Adamus shortstop pick could possibly be the one that, that the most people would have on their lineup. Yeah, and, and I think that they probably have a point. There might be a little bit of recency bias there because we obviously saw it and, and yep. how that season culminated for Adonis. You know, you go to game five against the Astros, you have the, the relay, and I don't remember which game it was. I want to say game four um, when they threw Jose Altuve out at the plate. But Three or four, I think, yeah. Three or four, and, and uh, he is becoming one of the faces of the team and I, I think a huge fan favorite. So, yeah, you're probably right. I actually didn't go with Adamus, though, and I'm going to explain my pick in a second. But the only other shortstops that would really have a case would be Bartlett, who had a really productive season in 2009, and then maybe Julio Lugo um, from the Devil Rays era. But other than that, Miguel Cairo way back when. But Willie Adamas is probably, would probably be the consensus pick in, in his 2019 season. I went and got a pretty cheap pick, and I think, I think I'm going to get a lot of offensive production out of this pick if, if this were to somehow play out. Maybe we play this out, in, out of the park somehow. Yeah, right. But I went with 2016 Brad Miller, got him for less than a dollar, got him at uh, 90 cents in terms of war. He got off to a terrible start this season, and he was never a great defensive shortstop. That's why he moved around. I don't know how he stayed a shortstop in the big leagues for as long <laughs> as he did. Um, but he hit 30 home runs this year, and – that was after starting like going in halfway through the month of May was batting like a buck 50 and really tore it up from that, uh, from there on out ended up hitting 30 home runs. And uh, I, I thought that was a solid pick at shortstop. Now I know you were losing a lot of defense there, but Hey, that's the name of the game. I'll take the 30 home runs and move on to the outfield and we'll start in left field. Uh, who, who'd you take? 
Uh, well, let me just, I want to follow up one thing real quick on that shortstop, because I remember that that 2016 season was uh, the first year I was writing for uh, D-Rays Bay and, and, and got myself into, uh, it, there, there was a great Brad Miller schism in the, among the masthead, and, and it was very, very heated, which side of it you were on, I remember uh, GT, Morgan, hit show legend Darby Robinson and myself were, were planted on Miller Mountain for a long time that season. So I, I respect I respect that pick a lot. So Yeah, um, he, he hit uh, 185 in April, but then ended up having an OPS in the month of July of 891 with seven home runs. I mean, he really tore it up um, in the latter half of that season. Yeah, he was he was great. And, and he, he there was kind of some writing on the wall that it seemed like he was going to turn it around. And so – who knows in this, this hypothetical season, if we go based off of the process, not the results, maybe you get uh, even more from him there. So, yeah, for sure. So for left field, uh, this was the, uh, yeah, like I said, this was the last spot I filled and it was, uh, I had to get the, the human magnet there. Uh, Brandon Geyer, 2016, remarkable hit by pitch 23 times in 63 games. I mean, Put him, put him first in the lineup. Get get a couple free bases uh, every now and then. And yeah, this was this was kind of my throwaway pick at the end because I <laughs> I didn't have much money and I had to had to fill left field. So I like it. And Geyer was a player I liked a lot. I remember I was watching a Durham Bulls game from like last season, and I had no idea that he hadn't made the big league team out of camp. But he was playing with the Charlotte Knights, um, in in, in their AAA. I think it's the White Sox AAA. Um, and it just shocked me that Geyer was in you know, triple A to start the year, because I always thought of him as a big league caliber player. I think that's a really good pick. I, we've talked about underpaying for some guys and how we kind of cheated the system. I'm pretty <laughs> sure I overpaid for my next, for my left fielder. I went with Sam Fold, who racked up oh, 2.1 war in 2011. Wasn't good enough to be a two-win player, but because of that <laughs> you know, great start to the season in which he was nicknamed Super Sam Fold. Uh, and, and this is a lineup full of your fan favorites. I had to take him. Um, I, I really wanted to go with Carl Crawford, um, but went, went the cheaper option, even though I was still overpaid for Sam Fold because he was so much fun to watch for those couple months that he was just killing it in the big leagues. Well, and these, these were the years that I was, yeah, I was a baseball nomad, like I said, but I remember even from, from a kind of outsider perspective that Sam Fold was just one of those dudes who he'd end up on SportsCenter every night and you were just like, yeah. who is this dude? Like, <laughs> it, it was the epitome of the Rays to have, have Sam Fold kind of have this out of nowhere, Lynn Sanity type start to the season. And uh, yeah, he was, he was, a, he, it's a great pick. I, I, like you said, you may have overpaid by strict value, but in terms of building a fun lineup, that's, that's a perfect pick right there. He finished 2011 with a 91 OPS plus, um, 673 OPS, 313 on base percentage. It was not <laughs> great. You know, he stole 20 bases, but he got caught stealing eight times. So it wasn't that great of a year in terms of base stealing for him. And obviously that was the highest war of his career. He never got above um, 1.0 in, in terms of war for the rest of his career. But you know what? This is my lineup. I get to make the picks. And I went with Sam Fold. Center field. This is one of our – I think one of two that we, we picked the same player. So why don't you, why don't you let the audience know? No, well, this, this is uh, – this is I, I feel like another one that maybe, again, recency bias. Maybe it's just me and you love this dude more than anyone else. But I, I do think Malik Smith made himself very beloved when, when he was, when he was uh, in town here. He had the Florida chain – just played such a fun style, just running all over the place. And he was efficient on the bases. I, I may have to – maybe you can queue up the numbers there on the exact steals he had that season. But 
I mean, he, he, he was the type of guy who I, I was so bummed when they, when they traded him out of town. I mean, I, you can talk to it a little bit more. I know you're a big Malik's guy as well, but this, this 2018 season was, was one of my single favorite uh, race seasons in, in recent memory for sure. A career year for Malik Smith in every sense of the word. He's only played in big leagues for four years, um, but he hit 296. He had a 406 slugging percentage in 2018. His next highest is 365 back in his rookie season. Stole 40 bases, was caught stealing only 12 times. Uh, really productive on the, on the base paths as well. Uh, in, from a non-statistical you know statistical standpoint, I really found that Malik was finding ways to hit the gap. Uh, every time he was up at the plate and using his speed, he was able to, you know, translate that into more doubles and triples. He had 27 doubles and 10 triples that year. And, uh, yeah, super fun pick. He's a Tallahassee native. That's currently where I live now. Um, and, and that Florida chain is something that I've been uh, looking to see if I can find either a replica or one similar <laughs> to uh, for the last couple of years because that chain was pretty – I don't know if I could pull it off like he could. Um, but, yeah, Malik was awesome. And, and – and I, and I was sad when they traded him. I, th- I think I liked the trade, even though Zanino didn't work out. At, at the time, looking back at it, I, st- I think I still like the trade. Um, but, you know, Zanino probably has to turn it around a little bit more. Because Malik's had an okay year in Seattle. I know he went down to AAA for a little bit. But that last year with the Rays, really, really impressed with him. And, and what he was able to do when Kevin Kiermeyer missed so much time. I mean, and fill in at center field. So... Uh, Malik Smith was was my center fielder as well. Now moving on to to right field, and this, this is my last position player because I forgot DH. You did not, so I cheated <laughs> a little bit. But uh, right field, who'd you got? Uh, so I went with Randy Wynn here, and this this in and of itself was cheating a little bit because I took him in two thousand two when he played a lot more center field, which is part of why he he was a little more expensive here. But this is actually the highest. Uh, highest dollar value on my team. I think we mentioned briefly earlier. So this is Randy Wynn's 2002 season. Um, it's a season, the best season of his career. Um, the, I believe the, the lone time he made the all-star game. And, and for a player who I always thought was, was pretty underrated and a, a really good player, he, bit of a journeyman, but he, he had a really solid career. And he, he was in, in Tampa for five years. Um, kind of the, like an underrated, just kind of forgotten player that, uh, I love highlighting those early 2000s kind of forgotten names every now and then. So this this was where I spent my most money to get uh, Randy Wynn on there. And I went with Steven Souza Jr. Uh, maybe overpaid a little bit for Souza Jr. as well. He put up 4.1 war that year in 2017. Um, but it was coming after a really rough 2015 and 16 for Souza, where after the Rays acquired him for the Nationals, uh, in that three-way deal in which they maybe could have gotten Trey Turner, uh, but instead, he got Sousa Jr. and dealt uh, Will Myers. But it looked like he was never going to live up to that potential that he showed um, with the Nationals organization. I'm pretty sure he won International League Player of the Year in AAA or the MVP or whatever their award is called. Um, but it put up a 351 OBP and a 459 slugging percentage in 2017 with 30 home runs, including a walk-off against, the, I think it was the Milwaukee Brewers that year. And uh, made Sousa Hugs famous at the end of the dugout after other players were coming in after hitting home runs. Um, he would be the last one to greet them with a huge Steven Sousa Jr. hug. So I went with him there. And, and I was completely shocked when the Rays traded him. Like a, He had reported to camp, and he was traded like two or three days later. That was the same offseason that saw Longoria, Dickerson, Odorizzi, a couple other guys traded. But Sousa Jr. wasn't really on that list of guys that we thought could have been on the move. 
and uh, the Rays did indeed trade him um, over to Arizona, where he has dealt with a ton of injuries. But I think this past offseason he was signed by the Chicago Cubs, and uh, hopefully he gets to play baseball again whenever uh, whenever baseball returns. But let's quickly go through the pitchers real quick before we get to our out of the park um, update. And who do you have? Yes, yeah, so I went. I went with uh, Chris Archer, which is bound to to stir controversy with anyone reading this because he's he's among the more debated pitchers in uh, in race history. I went with his 2015 season because to me this was when like everything seemed possible. He he you know he 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 debuted in 2012, 2013. I mean he had a, a very good season, but he only only threw 128 innings. 2014, you're starting to see those first signs of, oh, this guy is this guy's a very good pitcher. But it, it was 2015 where he he was he finished fifth in the uh, Cy Young. He was an all-star, struck out 252 batters. At this point, you're thinking, he's 26 years old. You're thinking, this what is the ceiling for this pitcher? I mean, he's he's one of the, the smartest, uh, the guys you've seen approach the game. He's one of the most fun, just watching him stomp around the mound. Everything seemed possible at this moment. We all kind of know it spiraled out a little bit from there and he was never able to match his ERA to his fifth ever again and people debated he became an endless debate topic for for any number of reasons but th- this was when it seemed like anything was possible so I, I I have him as the at least the ace by by cost and then maybe I'd slot him second or third if if need be in in a, a big game like my number two guy I probably would put on the mound ahead of him but we'll, we'll get to that bridge when when we get there. And why don't you go ahead and read off the rest of your, your starting rotation. We did four-man rotations for this, and then I'll, I'll go through mine. and we can. Perfect, it. perfect. Yeah, so I had Glass now as the number two, 2019 Glass now. This was kind of the, the Yandy Diaz approach you had where he was, he was only two and a half wins, but that's because he only threw 60 innings. I mean, a full season of what Glass now was doing last year is you're looking at one of some of the best pitching in, in baseball history. I mean, yeah. Uh, and, and to do it all while potentially tipping his pitches is, is borderline absurd. So if, if it's a win, win or go home, uh, have uh, talked to him about keeping his glove in line and, and send him out there, and you got to feel pretty good. Yeah. Um, my number three, I went with 2005 Scott Kazmier. Um, I, I put this in the article, but it, it cracked me up. I, the, the, eight, the, the, the 100 walks he had, and to still be worth three wins, it's, he's one of only eight pitchers uh, to ever do that in well, who wouldn't want want that from their number three? A little bit of uh, chaos right right there in the middle of your uh, rotation. And then uh, for number four, this is a guy I think we both really like a lot. I went with uh, 2015 Erasmo Ramirez. So I'll kind of bridge that over to you to, to walk us through your rotation. Yeah, Erasmo, and I'll go ahead and start by saying Erasmo came in on my rotation too, just as a, a way to kind of cut costs, but also a fun guy to root for, um, I think. I took my girlfriend to her first Rays game, and she was able to get a picture and an autograph from Erasmo. So it became one of oh, nice. her favorite players as well. Um, but, but Scott Casimir, yeah, it, he was ahead of his time, really. The high strikeout, high walk numbers with the whole three true outcome, uh, you know, baseball that we see today. Um, but, but he was doing that back in 2005. As for my ace, I went with uh, big game James Shields. I didn't take his most valuable year, which was 2011. Uh, because it cost a little more than I wanted. I went with 2008, which was another really great season. Um, he he uh, was the second of 10 consecutive 30 start seasons, uh, which is pretty incredible and something that I don't know is really going to happen much more often in, in, in today's game. Um, but he threw 215 innings in 2008, over 33 starts. 
took a 3-5-6 ERA into the postseason, where obviously the Rays would go on to win the pennant that year. Then uh, took one of his rotation partners in 2008, one with Matt Garza, who was at 3.4 wins above replacement. And a guy that, that I've always viewed as the last piece to that rotation that the Rays added to turn them from, you know, a, a team in 2007 that we kind of thought was, you know, maybe up and coming to a team that was contending for the postseason and contending for a championship, which they ultimately did. Garza was a great addition to that team. And I threw him on, on my rotation as well. Then I went with 2015, Erasmo Ramirez at a, a 1.8 wins. And then uh, my last one really was just to throw in a, a personal favorite of mine from the earliest days of my Rays fandom back in 2006. I went with Casey Fossum at 0.3 wins above replacement. Uh, he, he was one of the first pitchers that I actually remember going and seeing at the Trop, him as well as Scott Kazmier. And he threw that EFIS pitch that, that was coined <laughs> the Fossum flop that it was just too good to pass up on, especially at 0.3. He was not a great pitcher by any means, but, but like we've been saying, this is about our favorite race players uh, that we can also get a little bit of value out of. So I went with Casey Fossum to round out my rotation. And then real quickly, why don't you go through your, uh, your bullpen? Yeah, for sure. Uh, we did smaller. We did only three-person three bullpen. So I used that logic to grab 2010 Randy Choate since he would, appeared in basically every single game for the, for the race that season through 85 games. Um, Jose Alvarado, we talked about him for the career one. That's one of my guys that I just got to have on, on every race roster. And then I, I splurged for the close. I, I went with 2012 uh, Fernando Rodney. There, he's got a decent shout as one of the, the probably, I don't know, five to 10 best closer seasons in that year. So if you can grab one of those seasons for only three, $3.7, you know, grab a little bit of history and uh, have, have Mr. Mr. Arrow Shooter himself closed out the games for you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, with my closer, I cheated again here. Went Nick Anderson. Only 21 and a third innings pitched for the Rays in 2019 after he came over from the Miami Marlins. But in those 21 and a third innings, he struck out 41 batters. Uh, incredible stuff from Nick Anderson. Going into 2020, he's probably going to get the bulk of the save opportunities for the Rays. Um, so, yeah, able to get him at 0.8 wins was, was awesome. And then my other two guys, I went with Sergio Romo and Ryan Stanek, two of the openers. I was able to get 2018 Romo at 0.2 wins and 2018 Ryan Stanek at 1.2 wins. Uh, both guys were openers. Both guys were fun in the clubhouse. And both guys I kind of wish were still raised today. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, the especially Sergio Romo. I was a huge Sergio Romo guy. I was really bummed when, when he left town. and. With Stanek, I feel like the writing was a little bit on the wall. It was kind of like we were writing his, his best moments, and maybe he was going to fall off a little bit after he left town. But Romo with that, that slider, any, anything, anything he did was kind of gravy, I felt like, at this point in his career. It's just kind of a yeah. fun guy to have on the team. Yeah, with, with Stanek, it, it, it wasn't working out when he wasn't pitching the first inning. So yeah. how much value did he truly have? And to be able to send him off to Miami with Jesus Sanchez, which was a shocking trade in the, at the time, to bring back Nick Anderson, Trevor Richards. I actually really like that trade now, but I was skeptical of it then for sure. And before we move on to our out of the park 21 um, segment, we do have to take a quick break uh, and have a word from our sponsors, but we'll be right back. All right. And we are back. Uh, Going to talk out of the park baseball. So obviously I had Jim on a few weeks ago and we gave a quick review of the game and set up our raise saves to as a bit of a refresher I have a save where I'm managing every game, setting the lineups, doing the roster moves, doing everything. And then Jim has his own save, but he's not touching it. He's just simming it. He is letting the AI control the roster moves, set the lineups, 
do all make all the day-to-day decisions and we're going to kind of see if there's a big difference maybe if the ai if we think it's accurate or if we think that it's a way better manager than, than i am but that's what we're going to talk about today um, on previous episodes we've gone through the months of april and may and now we're going to cover the month of june in this episode jim i'll throw it over to you yeah, so uh, I think I heard you hint towards this earlier, uh, that, you, that your version of the Rays had a very good June. My version of the Rays was a was unstoppable in June. They went 20 and 6 in June. Uh, yeah, so they now had, they are now 56 and 34. They've got a one, I, I simmed one more game than you blacks and I think, because I've got the, the auto, oh, auto, right. auto sim, so maybe one game off, but that uh, considering that they've only got a one game lead over the Yankees, they're three and a half over Boston. Um, but they have the best record in the American league right now. Um, and only the Dodgers have a better record in all of baseball. So before we get into maybe some of the, the nitty gritty of player stuff, you want to take us through how the team in general is looking? Yeah, we through through July 2nd. So we went into July a little bit, finished that angel series that uh, ends June and begins July. The Rays are 52 and 37 and 19 and nine. Since the last update, they're tied for first place in the AL East with the New York Yankees. They've played two more games, but the Yankees are 51 and 36 and have a three and a half game lead in the wild card race ahead of the Houston Astros at 47 and 39. Um, the, the pitching has been great. The offense has been really bad, and we'll talk about that more later. But yeah, they've also been red hot. Yeah, I think looking over the schedule, it did look like a month. I think we talked after the first month about how brutal the schedule was in, the, in, uh, in April. But, but June was a lot friendlier. There were a couple of series with the Orioles. There's the Mariners on there. Um, the Blue Jays, who scare me a little bit. But at, at this point, maybe we're hopefully a year off from them being a true, true contender. Um, so they were able to rattle off a nine-game win streak in my sim. They, had a, they swept the Red Sox, Orioles, and Blue Jays. So not only was it a nine-game win streak, but to do all that in the division is, is massive. Um, Mixed in there was a, a Kevin Kiermaier five-game home run streak, which wow. I, I didn't get the exact numbers, but I cannot imagine that has ever happened in his career. I, I couldn't imagine he's got even a three-game home run streak. So that was pretty wild. Um, and then injury-wise, um, not too much. Charlie Morton is out for two weeks right now, and Austin Meadows is out for a couple days, which may not seem like much, but but when we get around to um, – sharing numbers i'll tell you why it, it could actually be a bummer that he's out a couple of days because he's doing some crazy stuff speaking of win streaks i didn't really even notice this but i am currently on an eight game win streak to ending uh you know ending june and, and going there we into go July. so maybe i can match that nine game win streak from the ai but who are some of your your top performers from the, yeah so we'll start on the pitching side of things um morton has just been rock solid he's at three war he's got a 263 era snell's at 2.2 war, McKay's at 2.0, Glassnow's at 1.8. So the whole rotation's looking pretty good right now. Um, I think the biggest surprise maybe is in the bullpen, Fairbanks is lighting it up right now. He's got a 1.79 ERA. He's striking out almost 12 per nine. He's got fit below three. Um, that's been one of the biggest pleasant surprises on my end of things. Um, and on the, the other side of it, unfortunately, Alvarado, Oliver Drake and uh, Carson Smith, who was a pickup um, off of free agency. All three are, are in the negative for, uh, for war with, with Drake being worth almost uh, negative a full win. He's negative 0.8 war right now. So uh, I, this is, I would be making some changes, but this is hands off AI. They'll, they'll come around to it uh, eventually. <laughs> so what about pitching for your side of things? 
I, before I get into the pitching, because it has been incredible, and, and I don't know if anything has happened on your save, but I made two trades in the month mm. of June. And one of them, I, I think I was offered, and I might have adjusted a little bit, and then the other one I went out and made happen. But the first one was right at the beginning of the month. I acquired Derek Dietrich from the Cincinnati Reds in exchange for uh, Tyler Zombro. And uh, Dietrich stats at the time, and Cincinnati was really using him off the bench mostly as a pinch hitter or as, as a fill-in. Um, but he had 137 plate appearances, a slash line of 313, 419, 670, 11 home runs, and 28 runs batted in. Um, so I was able to acquire him for relatively cheap. Tyler Zombro, and, you know, he's a potential big leaguer someday. Um, but wasn't in my immediate plans, so was able to get him. I had a DFA, Aaron Loop, who was on the 40-man roster at that time, and send Michael Brasso down to AAA Durham. And then uh, Michael Brasso wasn't with the organization much longer, as I sent him to the Washington Nationals in exchange for Howie Kendrick. Kendrick oh. is a guy that I really wanted the Rays to go after, and they probably did go after to some extent this past offseason, he instead chooses to re-sign with the Nationals where he won the World Series as their second baseman last year. Now I'm using him a little bit at second base in the game. His defense at second base is bad, uh, but it is, he can play first base pretty well. Um, at, at the time of the trade, through 181 plate appearances, he had a slash line of 287, 339, 409, with four home runs and 27 runs batted in. Um, and and he's, he's fitting in quite nicely with the team. Brasso. Was actually is actually a really highly rated player in the game. I think he's like two and a half stars or maybe three star potential uh, at the start of this save. So I was able to get you know a lot of good value out of him. And with Kendrick being a free agent at the end of this this season, and Brasso having you know a ton of control left, I thought this was a pretty even trade in, in terms of how Brasso ranks in the game. Um, but but yeah, what, do you think I I made a couple good deals there, Jim? I love both those. And so I, th I think we've mentioned this before. Anyone who owns OOTP knows you have to have like four or five saves going. So I do have another raise one where I am managing. And I also made a move for Derek Dietrich and he's been a beast in the game. And I, it's one of those things where uh, the game has an impact on how you think about reality. And that, so now yeah, in reality, sure. I'm like, I wonder if the race could go after Derek Dietrich. Cause yeah, he's, he, he's a really good fit for what they need right now. Um, and he's, He's multi-positional. He's got a lot of pop in his bat. Um, so I'm kind of curious how you're you're using those two guys because both of them fit the raised mold of being able to go in a bunch of different spots. And and I, I think I, I really like those two moves, yeah. Well, Dietrich, it's going to be interesting because I don't know if you got a chance to listen to my my last update, but Austin Meadows had picked up a fractured wrist. Okay. And – needed an, an extra outfielder, but it's going to be really interesting when Meadows comes back, which looks like it might not be until September. He suffered a setback uh, with his injury. Another uh, part of it, that happened in June, but right now Yoshi Tsutsugo still is not playing very good baseball. He's got 14 home runs, um, but he's got a 269 OBP, uh, OPS plus of 80. Hunter Renfro has picked it up a lot. Um, he's he's got his OBP up to 253, which still isn't good, but it's better than what it was, and his OPS plus up to 67. So a big question mark with what to do with those guys once Meadows comes back because Dietrich isn't going anywhere. He's got an OPS plus of 179. He's the best nice. hitter on the team right now, and he's got 14 home runs uh, through the first you know two full or three full months of the season. Um, but I, I I am not really sure what I want to do because. 
Yoshi might have to go down to AAA, or Renfro might have to go down to AAA to make room for Meadows when he does indeed come back. But right now, it's it's working perfectly with with with, uh, with Derek Dietrich, and I, I do want to talk a little bit about the pitching because for my team, that has been uh, really the only reason that the Rays are tied for first place in the American League. They're in first place in runs against, starters ERA, FIP pitcher in pitcher's war it's wow. been absolutely incredible you look at Blake Snell's numbers he has gone he has thrown 18 starts he's got a 2.1 ERA striking out 11 and a half batters per nine innings an ERA plus of 226 a FIP of 277 and has picked up 3.7 wins wow. above replacement uh it really back to his Cy Young form for the most part the walks are up a little bit 3.4 walks per nine but he's been incredible. Charlie Morton hasn't been as good, but has been really consistent. 18 starts, 3.1 ERA, 2.6 wins above replacement. Uh, and his strikeout numbers have gone up. I was a little worried about his strikeout numbers early on in the year. They were down to like 6.5 or 7 per nine innings. He's gotten those up to 8.9 uh, strikeouts per nine innings, and he's been really good. And just like in your save, uh, it made the decision to call up Brendan McKay and add him to the rotation. I did as well, and he has just been absolutely incredible through his first six starts, a 1.5 ERA through uh, how many innings has he thrown? 36 innings. He's gotten 40 strikeouts and has got an ERA plus of 316 right now, which I know a super small sample size, And but through six starts, he has been as good as expected. And it did force me to send Ryan Yarbrough down to AAA um, because he just wasn't really fitting into the bullpen. And uh, Torinos has been really good as well. So is Glass now. I think Glass now leads the American League in strikeouts or is maybe second behind Blake Snell. So uh, the, the pitching has been, I mean, as good as it can be. Diego Castillo, 43 and two-thirds innings pitched, a 1-4-4 ERA. Uh, he, he's taken more of the save opportunities now from Nick Anderson. And, and he has been uh, really good. I mean, the pitching staff as a whole is the only reason this team is as good as it is because the bats are, are really, really bad. But how is the offense doing in yours? I don't want to hear that much about my offense. I'll, I'll talk <laughs> about it in a second, but I want to hear about uh, the, the offense on your save first. Well, real quick, so I'll, I'll, I'll rattle off the, the surprisingly strong offense uh, on my sim over here in a second, but I'm curious if you can look up if, if, if uh, Snell is leading your league in, in war. I'd have to imagine he's right up there, right? I will take a look while you start. Perfect. So uh, I guess the first thing to, to kind of note before we get into the players is that this team is not only first in fifth, what, similar to your save, but they're also first in runs scored in the American League, which is pretty shocking. I I don't really see that happening in, in real life, but if uh, if Austin Meadows does what he is doing in this game, it, it, it will be a possibility because he right now through 88 games has 30 homers and 87 RBIs. So wow. you're, you're talking about pacing for some borderline historic numbers there. Uh, he's hitting 343, 406, 671 for 189 wow. PS plus and over five war. So, I mean, we're a little bit over the halfway point, but it's tracking for almost like a 55 homer, 150 RBI, nine war season. I mean, obviously he's not going to keep that up, but the game is is really digging Meadows in this sim. Um, then the other kind of strong bats for the team, Jose Martinez is at a 160 OPS plus. He's at he's over two war. Uh, Adamas is over two war. Choi is at 150 OPS plus and over two war. 
and Renfro is at a 115 OPS plus and uh, about two WAR as well. So the the team's top to bottom stroking it right now. That that is another issue with this game. As you look at the numbers Meadows is putting up, and I just get so excited about can you really do that in real life. And another one of my saves, I think I'm with the, it's a giant save, but Mike Trout at the halfway point was at 45 home runs already, <laughs> and it was going to be like a 16 WAR season, and then he picked up an oblique strain. Oh man! And I was, I was like, I was checking my Giants like you know every single day because that was the team I was controlling. But I was also checking the Angels box score every single day to see what Trout was up to. Uh, it, it was probably going to be ended up being one of the best, greatest seasons ever. But Blake Snell is leading um, the American League with three point seven wins above replacement for all pitchers, uh, it, and he is getting beat out by Max Scherzer with three point eight mm. wins above replacement. Gets him by a tenth of a win so far. Scherzer, through 17 starts, has gone over 100 innings already, has 127 strikeouts, uh, only 1.9 walks per nine. Yeah, he, Scherzer's been, uh, you know, just as good as Snell, but Snell is leading the American League. Um, my offense, uh, with Meadows going out, and Meadows was having a good season, but not as good of a season. When he was injured, he was hitting 291 with a 514 slugging percentage. He had nine home runs. Over 198 plate appearances, he was worth 1.6 wins above replacement. Um, so, not as good, but still a really good season. And then you look at the rest of the team. Mike Zanino hitting 194, had a 245 Woba, 50 OPS plus. Better than last year, I think, but not <laughs> by much. Um, Gmon Troy leads the team with 16 home runs. But has a 311 OBP, a 451 slugging percentage. I'm um, slightly above average hitter, but uh, is really kind of tailed off as the season has gone on. Jose Martinez, though, and I'm actually starting to experiment with him in the leadoff spot because he's getting on base at such a high rate. He's got a 362 OBP and a 459 slugging percentage. And what's even more shocking about that is he is hitting as of right now. And there are, more, there are more plate appearances, and the sample size isn't massive yet. He's doing better against right-handed pitching, which is not something that we've seen yet in Jose Martinez's yeah. career. He's got a 337 OBP against lefties, a 377 OBP <laughs> against righties. Now only 86 plate appearances against left-handed pitching, so it's not a whole lot, but you're not going to face lefties as often. So good to see that he is doing well against righties because I can keep him in the lineup there. Brandon Lau and uh, – <laughs> This this might uh, play play to you right here. Thirty one point nine strikeout percentage. Uh, it's just not going great for Brandon Lau at the plate this year. Does have seven home runs and two hundred eighty two plate appearances, but has an OPS plus of seventy three, an OBP of two eighty. Not a great season at the plate for Brandon Lau, and he's actually losing a lot of playing time for it. Daniel Robertson getting more innings at second base because of it. Willie Adamas playing every day. OBP at 325, doing pretty well for a shortstop and, and for what we expect out of Willie Adamas, 2.2 wins above replacement um, going into the month of July. Derek Dietrich has been the best player on the team offensively throughout the season. Obviously, a lot of that production came before he was with the Rays, but through 209 plate appearances, he's got an OBP of 423 and a slugging percentage of 655 to bring his OPS over 1,000. I expect that the drop as the season goes on as he plays every day for you know for this team, as he will. Kevin Kiermeyer, absolutely horrific at the plate. 183 average, 272 on base percentage, 55 OPS plus, and only 
four stolen bases, two caught stealing. So, and that's partly on me because I don't steal a lot in the game. I'm not a huge stolen base guy, but Manuel Margot is playing better through a lot with a lot smaller sample size, but I'm really having a hard time taking Kiermaier out of the lineup for defensive reasons. Hunter Renfro, like I said, is picking up a little bit, but other than that, it hasn't been good. The only other real update that I've got from my save is uh, Will, uh, Wander Franco. Called him up to AAA, and I locked him in AAA because I know so, I, I have uh, minor league promotions and demotions. Uh, I have the AI do all those, but I wanted Wander Franco to lock in at AAA. And through eight games, he has a slash line of 324, 343, 412. So a good start uh, with the Durham Bulls for Wander Franco. And uh, might try to get Vidal Brujan up in the majors at some point in the next month or two. And want to get Randy Rosarena back with the big league club as well. But it's uh, Wander Franco. It's exciting stuff. I love it. Yeah, unfortunately, the AI has kept him in Montgomery for now, but it's only a matter of time. He's, his, his OPS is well over 1,000. So yeah. I think he's going to get a call up to, uh, to AAA pretty soon. It's going to be unfair uh, whenever he does uh, – if he ever plays in the Southern League because with what's happening with, my, with minor league baseball, he might end up straight in AAA. Um, yeah. But if he gets to play in the Southern League, it's going to be unfair for those pitchers who are just trying to make a living. And they got to face Wander Franco. That's just going to be really unfair. But uh, is, is that everything for, from uh, from the save through the month of June for you? Yeah, I think more than anything else, it just reminds me how much I really want baseball to come back. <laughs> yeah, and, and like we said, it will be interesting whatever format Major League Baseball decides on to come back if they do come back. You know, we're fingers crossed at some point whenever it's safe to do so. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what, you know, out of the park, I'm sure they'll release a mode where you can play the – weird wacky season where there might not be an American league or national league where there'll be a DH. I'll be off for that. Maybe we set up new saves for the Rays when that happens, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been fun. Brendan McKay watching him come up, even though Ryan Yarbrough, who I'm a big fan of had to go down to AAA. It is funny though. We play this video game and I start to, uh, you know, develop relationships with these players that are, are nothing, <laughs> nothing more than numbers and names on a screen. It's not even like MLB the show where it like looks realistic. But uh, no, it's a reality. Yeah, no, it, it, it very much will bias opinions of mine for decades. I still go by yeah. the players that I loved in MVP Baseball 2005, you know, so that's, yeah. that is how it is. It is. All right. Well, that is going to do it for Raise Your Voice this week. Big thank you to Jim Turvey for coming back on again. And I'll see you guys next time.